0: after being roughly treated by government authorities, he was arrested, taken into custody, and thrown into a jail cell. Dr. Martin Luther King was arrested for his part in trying to interrupt a system of racial segregation that was choking out the flourishing of so many black people in this country. And as he sat in that, that jail cell by himself, one of his allies smuggled in a newspaper to him. And when he opened that newspaper, he began to read. And in that newspaper, he saw a message, an article that was written by eight other clergymen that was publicly denouncing him for his actions. It was hard enough to be in jail for for his struggle and his work. But it felt all the more painful because people that he expected to be his partners in the work were actually tearing at the fabric of what he was doing. And after reading this letter, Dr. King was provoked to write a public letter in response to them from his jail cell. And that letter is the famous letter that we know today as the letter from Birmingham Jail. But there's another story involving a clergyman, a jail, and a letter written from that jail. But in this story, partnership made all the difference. Partnership in the work is what made all the difference in this situation, because centuries before Dr. King was jailed, someone else, there was another man who was roughly treated by government authorities, arrested, taken into custody, and thrown into a jail cell. The apostle Paul was arrested For trying to interrupt a system of sin, brokenness, and unrighteousness, and idolatry that was choking out the lives of all people from the fall until that very day. And so as the Apostle Paul sat in his jail cell, all of a sudden, there was a knock at the the cell door. And it wasn't the frustrating and depressing news of a letter that had gone out to refute and denounce him. It was a personal friend, a familiar face, a man named Epaphroditus. It was a a friend who was sent as an emissary from his beloved friends in the city of Philippi, in in the region of Macedonia. He came as an emissary. His, His friends were standing with him. His partners in the gospel had taken concern from him, had taken concern for him, and, and they sent this man, Epaphroditus, not only bearing yet another financial gift in support of his ministry, but Epaphroditus himself was yet another gift who was sent to be an encouragement to the apostle Paul during his time in prison. They actually sacrificed by giving one of their own leaders to go and encourage and support Paul in the ministry, his faithful partners were standing by his side, and the Apostle Paul was bursting with gratitude and love at seeing Epaphroditus's face. And as Epaphroditus came in and sat down with the Apostle Paul, they began to catch up on what was going on in the church at Philippi. This was a church that Paul himself had planted. And as Epaphroditus began to share, Paul came to learn that his beloved friends were going through some difficulties of their own. It seemed that some opponents of the Apostle Paul had come into the church in Philippi and they were delivering teaching that was contrary to the teaching on grace that Paul was delivering. Not only this, they were going through their own personal hardships financially. They, they were struggling to make their ends meet. They they were feeling vulnerable because of their financial situation. And with everything that was going on in their lives, they were feeling squeezed, and they began to lash out at one another. They began to have conflicts in their community. There there were struggles that were going on between them. And not only this, to add into the anxieties, these friends dearly loved the Apostle Paul, and they were concerned about his well-being. They were continually supporting him, much like we support missionaries around the world. And to hear that they had a dear friend who was in jail and was going to come before Caesar, the king of Rome, and his fate was going to be decided. It was going to be determined whether he would be executed or whether he would live. They were concerned. And so after the apostle Paul heard of everything that was going on in Philippi, he was provoked to write a letter to these dear friends, a a letter that has come down to us today as the book of Philippians, a different prison epistle from what came out of the Birmingham jail, but an important one nonetheless. And in this letter, Paul had a few primary goals. He wanted to thank the Philippians. He wanted to thank them. He wanted to assure them. He wanted to call them. And he wanted to strengthen them. He wanted to thank them for their faithful financial partnership with him in his ministry. He wanted, he wanted also to assure them regarding his personal circumstances that he wasn't concerned about his tenure in jail. He wasn't, he wasn't afraid. He was, he was focused. He wanted to call them to unity in the face of their opposition. He was stressing how critical it was for them to be on one accord, to live together in love, to be an embodiment of the power of God's transforming grace together. He wanted to call them to that unity. And he wanted to strengthen them in the face of opposition. There was all kind of teaching contrary to Christian doctrine that was being proliferated In that community, there were outsiders who were coming in trying to disrupt their stability in the Christian faith. Strange teachings. They were trying to twist the teachings of the Apostle Paul. They were trying to push back all of the work and ministry that Paul had done in that place. And so he writes to them. He writes to them. Because his primary concern, y'all, his primary concern, and this gets to the theme of our series in the book of Philippians, his primary concern was this. He wanted to encourage them for their faithful partnership in the gospel with him in his ministry. But his overarching concern is to encourage them to faithful partnership in the gospel with one another in ministry. They had demonstrated that with Paul, but he said he wanted to see that faithful partnership cropping up in their life together. And so he writes this letter to them. And so for the next few weeks and months we're going to be working through a new series in the book of philippians called working together for the advancement of the gospel that's our new series and that's essentially what the book of philippians is all about the the book of philippians through all of its themes and its trajectories is going to challenge us regarding how we live together how we how we live in unity together and how we prioritize our union with one another and our union with Christ for the sake of seeing the gospel go forward. The Philippi was a city that was hostile to Christian belief. But this was a faithful community and they saw fruit because, because of what, was God, what God was doing in their midst. And, and we find ourselves in a city that isn't particularly keen on our message, but that shouldn't matter. That shouldn't matter because we are called to the kind of unity that will support our efforts in bringing other people to know the love of God and Jesus Christ. And so this is a, actually a really important message for us. We've been at it for a few years now, and we need to make sure that we stay on focus. We need to make sure that we prioritize the right things. The Philippians were, were tempted to prioritize other things that would disrupt their unity. But what we're going to see throughout this epistle is that politics should not be allowed to disrupt our unity because we care so much about seeing the gospel go forward that we're willing to put that on the back burner for the sake of living together in love, getting our, getting our own rights. And seeking our own agendas. All of the things that disrupt unity are going to be challenged in this letter. And so this morning, we're going to get it kicked off in the first 11 verses uh, of the book of Philippians. And we're going to take a look at the victories behind and the battles ahead. And this is, I want to frame up this book this morning by looking at the victories behind and the battles ahead. So let's look at our first point where we see the victories behind. And what I mean is this. We need to make sure that we are in touch with all of the victories that lie behind us. So that we will be prepared for the battles that are before us. And this is what the Apostle Paul does in the real, in the real introduction to this letter. And in order for us to understand the victories that lie behind the church in Philippi, we need to go back and take a look at Acts chapter 16. Acts tells the story of how the Christian church grew in the first century. How the mission went forward after Jesus came forward as risen from the dead and and sent his apostles into the world. Acts tells that story and in Acts chapter 16 we see how the church in Philippi came into existence. And Paul wants us to keep that in mind. And we see as much when we look at verse 3. Look at what he says in verse 3. He says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And it's, it's fruitful for us to consider what it was that Paul actually remembered about these people. What did he remember about his friends in Philippi? Well, a couple things. He remembered how God would sovereignly override his initial ministry plans in order to lead him to these friends in Philippi. When you read Acts chapter 16, what you see is that the apostle Paul had ministry plans He had ministry ambitions. He had vision for where he wanted to go and what he wanted to accomplish on the mission. And at at the stage that we find Paul and his associates in chapter 16, Paul is ready to take the gospel into a place called Bithynia. But what we see is that the spirit of Jesus, the text says in in, in verse 7 of, of chapter 16, but the spirit of Jesus did not allow them. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia, that's the region of Philippi, was standing there urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. Immediately, we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Now, no doubt, Paul was a little bit disappointed that his plans were interrupted He was a little bit frustrated that his plans to go to Bithynia and beyond were counteracted. But when he looked back and thought back and remembered from that prison cell of all the fruit that had come from God's sovereign editing of his plan, he rejoiced. And what we see here is that it is a victory when God sovereignly overrides your plans to get you onto his plan. It is a victory when you are able to swallow a no to your plans and to embrace a yes to God's plans. Now, I'm going to tell you something about God's sovereign editing of the apostles' ministry plans. It involved more difficulty for Paul. It involved beatings for Paul. It involved jail time for Paul. But Paul looked back and he said, it was all worth it because God will never waste a drop of suffering on his people. Do you know that? God will never waste a drop of suffering in your life. He turns it into fruitfulness. He turns it into growth. He turns it into maturity when you receive it in faith. Paul got over his temporary disappointment and followed God's call to go to Macedonia. It was a victory, God's sovereign plan, and he remembered God's faithfulness and and God's wisdom and God's fruitfulness that he brought as he sat in that jail cell looking back, 2020 hindsight, on what the Lord had done. These were his most faithful friends in ministry. Nobody supported Paul like this community, and he would have missed them if he was following his own plan. But the Lord guided him to them, and he remembered that when he thought of them. What did Paul remember? He remembered their conversions to faith in Christ. He remembered how the Lord opened Lydia's heart when he went down to the river to preach to those who were gathered. They didn't even have enough people to have a synagogue in Philippi. They didn't have enough Jewish people to gather a synagogue, so they got together down by the river. And Paul went down and preached and he remembered how the Lord opened Lydia's heart to the gospel and then how she opened her home to him and his associates. He remembered casting the demon out of the slave girl who was in a system of oppression and bondage by evil people who were exploiting her for their own gain. He remembered that when he cast the demon out of her and he saw her in her right mind. He remembered when he was sitting in that jail cell, singing hymns with his boy Silas. Great is thy faithfulness. They're in jail, in the stocks. It's pitch black, surrounded by other prisoners. Oh God, my father, there is no shadow. Earthquake, boom, boom, boom. This prison doors fly open, and all of a sudden, this man who's the jailer knows that he's dead meat if all of these prisoners escape. And he takes his sword, and he's about to kill himself. He's about to commit suicide, and Paul stops him from killing himself. He stops him from committing suicide And then he brings him to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ and baptizes him with his whole household. Paul remembers baptizing the whole household of Lydia. He remembers baptizing the whole household of the jailer. He remembers seeing God's work in their conversions. And no doubt he was reminded of his own radical conversion when the Lord met him on his murderous path on the road to Damascus and stopped him in his tracks. He felt a kinship with them. And he rejoiced to see how the Lord changed their hearts and brought them to know Jesus. These were major victories in which they witnessed the power of God in the preaching of the gospel and the fruit that he produced in their community by the Spirit. He remembered. What else did Paul remember? Paul remembered how the Lord redeemed and united a cross-cultural community. He remembered the beauty of seeing Lydia, a wealthy woman of means who was a Gentile, living in community with with the slave girl who was poor and oppressed and set free. And then the Philippian jailer, living together in community with the Philippian jailer, a a blue-collar working man. And many others who had come to faith from the diversity in that city. He was reminded, he remembered how God was doing a cross cultural work in their midst. And there's no accident, we've said this before in reference to Antioch, that it's no surprise that this church cared about seeing the gospel go to the world because they represented the world in their local church. Do y'all hear what I'm saying? When the world is in your church represented, it keeps you honest to care about the world around you. When I have African brothers and sisters in my local community, I cannot disregard the cause of the gospel and the growth of the kingdom and the care for people in Africa. Because I love them and they are representative of an entire group of people on a different continent. When when I have uh, brothers and sisters from Korea and China and Japan living in my local community, I can't disregard or not care about the cause of the gospel going forward in those countries because I love them. And and there is a, a humanization that takes place. They're not just those people over there. I now have a face and a life to humanize those who are far away from me. And it helps my heart to love better. Paul rejoiced. He knew that it was no accident that they supported him so strongly. God was at work in their hearts. And this cross-cultural community cared about the world. It was a victory to see people coming together and breaking down socioeconomic barriers to live together in love. That was a victory. God was at work. It was evidence that the Lord was doing something profound in that city. It was a victory to see the Spirit's work in a community that had many differences but shared a common Savior. What did Paul remember? He remembered their incredibly generous financial gifts that they joyfully and lovingly gave in support of his ministry. On multiple occasions, this community sent large financial gifts to support Paul, I mean they—they they were effusive in their generosity. They didn't wait for Paul to make requests of them. They proactively sought the opportunity to support him. I I, I love thinking about this, and it challenges me every time. They, this was a church made made up primarily of Gentiles. That is those who are not Jewish. But this church begged for the opportunity to support the Jewish brothers and sisters in Jerusalem who are going through a time of hardship. They begged for it. This is how Paul describes this church in Philippi, in this region of Macedonia, in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Now, he is, he is speaking hard words to a wealthy church in Corinth because they had made a promise to give but they didn't follow through. They were wealthy. They made lots of money. They were ballers and shot callers. They were very successful people, very gifted people, and they, they talked a big game. But they had yet to actually follow through. And so Paul lights a fire under them by talking about that little old church in Macedonia. And this is what he says in 2 second, second Corinthians chapter 8 about this church in Philippi. Speaking to the Corinthians. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means as I can testify and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, listen, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Do you hear this description? This is powerful. You you should spend some time with that passage right there and let it challenge you. From their extreme poverty, he says, welled up extreme generosity. When Paul came to these brothers and sisters in Philippi, he came announcing the reality that God had given most generously, that God had given himself to them and to see them giving themselves Back to God and then to their brothers and sisters was evidence that the spirit of God was at work in their hearts. He delighted in the fact that they got and understood and believed the gospel. How did he know? Because it showed up in concrete evidences of grace. Not in the abstract. Not not in the ethereal This was not just a set of propositions that they believed. They didn't just believe Christianity propositionally. Oh, yeah, 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 I agree with that. Oh, yeah, 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 I believe that. In concrete ways, the reality of their faith was demonstrated. And the most powerful demonstration of the reality and genuineness of their faith was their lavish generosity. When is the last time that you begged someone for the opportunity to be generous? When was the last time you felt the love of God welling up in your soul so much that you had a longing not to get, 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 and acquire, and acquire, and acquire, and save, 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 save but to give, 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 and to bless, and to pour out? There's something profoundly spiritual about this, this event, this, this state of being for the Philippians. And before you go rushing off to try and say, well, well, that's not reasonable. Well, that, just, that doesn't make, well, how did then what I'm not supposed to save for retirement and all this kind of stuff? Don't, don't go there first. Think first about the the very last portion of the text. They gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us. It's an issue of giving your heart, giving your loves to the Lord who loves you more than giving your loves to lesser things. Paul saw that cropping up in their lives and it was a victory. It was a victory to see people who were so selfless because they knew a selfless God who gave everything. It was a victory to see this kind of sacrifice because they knew The ultimate beautiful sacrifice of Christ. It was a joy to see them loving the other because they were the other who was loved by Christ. It was a joy to see the reality of their faith showing up in concrete ways. He loved the Philippians and he loved what God was doing in them. Do you see why there's such effusive language of love in this epistle? Do you see it in the text? I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. It's right for me to feel this way about you because I have you in my heart. Do you see the dynamics of a real, beautiful, flourishing, healthy partnership in the gospel? Not that we tolerate one another because as we've said before, tolerance is not a Christian virtue. Love is a Christian virtue. You can tolerate people without loving them. You can tolerate them and it just... Make allowances for them, but not allow your heart to have real, deep, genuine affection for them. This is beautiful what we see between Paul and the Philippians. But what Paul wants to see is that same effusive love continuing on among them in their partnership together. But Paul gives thanks for their partnership in the gospel from the first day till now. This was no flash in the pan. This was no mere spiritual enthusiasm. This was no shot of adrenaline where they go off and do the right thing for about a week or so, and then they fall off. This was a real living dynamic. It was a part of their liturgy. They had a life liturgy, a life rhythm, a way of being in the world. They had a totally different concept of being in the world. Christianity was not just something that they did. Christian was not just something that they did where they behaved. They just played the part. They really thought of it in terms of their being, who they were in the world. What you do in the world is important. Who you are in the world is much more important because who you are will determine what you do. So focus on the reality of the being. This is what we see in this community. So many victories behind them. Paul is celebrating and remembering in this, in this sort of a explosive prayer wish in the beginning of his letter. But in verse 6, we see that he gives for all of these victories, for, for every inch of growth, for every act of love and deed of service. Paul directs the glory to God. Do you see that in verse 6? He says, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. God began the work of grace in their lives. God continued the work of grace in their lives. And Paul was confident that that God would complete the work of grace in their lives. God got all the glory for what was going on among these people, for what was happening in their hearts God gets all the glory. And it's important, listen, in talking about the victories behind, it's important, y'all, that we mark the victories behind us. It's important that we mark the victories behind us with grateful prayer and praise. This is a critical component of Paul's communication strategy. What he's essentially going to do is he's going to go forward and he's going to challenge them to some hard things. He's going to call them to some personal and communal change. But before he gets there, he just says, remember, God has been at work in you. God started something with you, and he's going to finish it with you. And we need to know that. Listen, God may edit our ministry plans here at Grace Mosaic, God will edit our ministry plans at Grace Mosaic. But we could grumble and be frustrated and get mad and blame shift and and, and get get frustrated with one another. Or we could take it in stride in faith and we can expect that God will do something similar to what he did with Paul. Lead us right to where we need to be in order to gather the fruit that he wants us to gather to give himself all the glory. When we look back over the, the, the journey of Grace Mosaic, we can see God doing that already. We have many victories behind us. God is growing across cultural community. He is stretching us. He is maturing people. People are hearing about the good news of God's grace for the first time and may not even know it. God is at work. We have victories behind us. And Paul brings the, the victories behind the Philippians in order to prepare them for the battles that lie ahead. And that brings us to our final point, the battles ahead. By the Lord's grace, there was so much good going on in the dynamic of this community. However, they were encountering difficult times, as we said, and it was threatening the vitality of their community. Their unity was being threatened, and that was threatening their partnership in the gospel. God has designed the work of his mission in such a way that it requires the unity of local churches in order to go forward. That's the way God has designed it. He uses means, and we are his primary means of accomplishing his mission in the world. And Paul is ultimately going to show us how central that unity is to the work of the mission. They They were in conflict with one another. They were loving. They were generous people. And this was a demonstrable fact, but Paul is not content with past victories. He rejoices in it. He's thankful for them. He gives God the glory for those past victories, but he's not resting there. He's not resting on prior acts of love. He encourages them in verse 9 in his prayer. He says, and it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more. He's praying for more love. Did did you hear the verse we just read about the, the degree of their love? And he's praying for more and more love to be flowing in their lives. The kind of love that can overcome offenses. The kind of love that can overcome sins when people hurt you. The kind of love that can fight for what is good and true and beautiful. The kind of love that can forgive. The kind of love that doesn't hold grudges. The kind of love that doesn't turn to cynicism and bitterness because I don't think that you get it. The kind of love that perseveres, that has the long view in mind. Do you see that? Paul has the long view in mind. Look at the text. He wants their love to abound more and more until when? The day of Christ Jesus. He wants them to love and to have such an expanse of heart and affection for God and for people that on that day when they stand before Christ in all of his glory they will hear him say well done good and faithful servant enter into the joy of your master on that day for them to be able to say I had many failures in my past but my greatest aspiration Lord Jesus was to love you and to love people. My love expanded. I want to be more loving than I was last year. I want to be more loving toward my neighbors than I was last year, last week. I want to be more loving to my family than I was last week. I want to be more loving, and that may take different shapes. For you to be more loving may mean you need to be bold with your words. Because it's unloving for you to sit on a message of grace when people are writhing in their own prisons that they have made of idolatry. To be more loving for you, to abound more and more in love for you, may mean you need to speak boldly. To abound more and more for, for you may mean you need to shut your mouth because you run it too much. To abound, I'm just speaking the truth. To abound more and more in love may mean that you need to readjust your schedule to prioritize serving people rather than serving yourself. To abound more and more in love may mean that you need to build friendships with people who do not have the money you have. To abound more and more in love may mean fill in the blank for you. I don't know what it is for you, but you need to hear the Lord's voice to you. You may need to grow more repentant. You do need to grow more repentant in order to grow and abound more and more in love. You may need to be more prayer. You do need to be more prayerful to abound more and more in love. This is what we see the apostle praying for them. A progressively expanding love that can overcome. A love for God and one another that protects our partnership in the gospel. We have work to do. There's more work to be done, the apostle says to the Philippians. And that work is going to be done as we consider the victories behind and face the battles ahead in faith and hope and in love. And that's our our same need. So let's pray that as we work through this series, the Lord would, would help us and meet us and help us to grow together to be better partners in the gospel. Let's pray. Father, thank you for these friends gathered here. In many ways, I know how the Apostle Paul feels because when I remember these friends, I love them and affection grows in my heart and I remember seeing some of them come to faith and I remember seeing some of them turn into deeper Growth, And I remember seeing them serve faithfully and give generously. And, and I hold them in my heart. And I pray, God, that you would bless our partnership in the advancement of the gospel. I pray, Father, that you would enrich us. That you would help us to abound more and more in love for one another and for you. And we pray, God, that we would become and be the kind of community that our neighbors want to be a part of because we are honest and full of grace and truth because we cry with them because we care for them because we're honest with them and serve them and bless them even when there's no hope of us getting anything from them in return. So father do a work here at Grace Mosaic and do a work in all of the local churches in this city that are aspiring to be faithful to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray that for the local churches in this city, that we consider friends and partners in the gospel in a broader way. Lord, we pray that you would get the glory in this, and that, you would, that you would help us to know that great joy that the Philippians knew, where their, where their generosity overflowed, and they, they experienced Christ in such a way that they longed and yearned to give themselves and their resources away. Let us be known as that kind of community in this city. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.